three. Toast. Toast. Today, I have a candidate for delegate appearing on the show, Russ Harper, who is uh, campaigning for the 94th District in Newport News. I'm interviewing him today, talking about a little bit of his ideas. Uh, We had a really good time talking about what things we can do to improve Virginia. We had um, some interesting conversation about Christians in politics that I thought was uh, very interesting and much needed. And yeah, it was a really cool conversation. So um, take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Thank you for uh, coming to talk with me and I really appreciate you being here, Russ. Um, So here we have Russ Harper, delegate of the 94th district of Newport News. Candidate for delegate. Candidate for delegate. Hopefully in a couple weeks you can call me delegate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So when do we vote? Is it November? November 2nd. November 2nd. Early voting started September 17th, so you can right. vote now if you want. Yeah. So I thought that first you could just kind of explain to people like who you are, like where you came from, your background leading up to this point. Okay. Yeah, well, uh, originally from Georgia. You know, the military dropped us off here, as as is most common for a lot of us. Uh, we're, we're, we're come here, not from here. Mm-hmm. But... Um, and we just decided to stay here. We loved it here. And so a uh, 13-year Army veteran, uh, married 21 years, uh, have five daughters. You know, that's always a big one. Three <laughs> of them are in college and two little ones still at home. Uh, we planted a church. So I'm also a local pastor. We planted a church about four years ago. And uh, also a, a small business owner. I uh, started a small business in 2013. It's painting and drywall. And so how I got to this point of running for delegate was, uh, you know, I... I've always preached on um, whatever God tells me to preach first, but you know, preaching on the topics of the day kind of thing. So um, a lot of people don't want to touch those things, but I've touched them for a long time because I think it's important. You know, we need to be mm-hmm. informed uh, even in the church, and, um, and so I've been been doing that for a while. And I really felt like uh, somebody called me a while back, maybe it was almost two years ago, and said, "Hey, you ever thought about running for office?" I was like, "Nah, man, I'm not. I'm not political. I don't want to get in that arena." You know. Uh, but as time went on, he called me again in January and said, dude, you really got to run. And uh, so we, me and my wife prayed about it and uh, jumped in with both feet. And so that's how we ended up doing it. But we believe that, that, that God said it was, it was you know, that we should do this at this moment in time. Win or lose, we know we're doing what God told us to do. And I can already see things that um, have happened that my eyes are open to now because I'm running for delegate and looking at uh, you know, uh, the, the whole of things in our city. Um, things that I probably would have never seen. So even if it's just that, you know, uh, and being able to open our church for homeschool, you know, um, yeah. even if it's just that thing, you know, then to me it was worth it whether I win or lose. So. Right. So one of the things I wanted to talk about that that kind of sparked my interest in you is that you're a pastor, but you're pretty outspoken about like your political beliefs. And most of the most of the pastors that I knew don't do that. You know, they say that, you know, Jesus came to you know, for the, his spiritual reasons, not to establish like a physical kingdom. And like, like, there's truth to that. But what would you say to like a Christian that said Christians shouldn't be involved in politics? We need to focus on like, you know, like the gospel and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think you cannot, you can't really separate politics and Christianity. They go hand in hand, whether you want them to or not. Politics, maybe a better word for politics would be government. 
Mm-hmm. You can't separate government and Christianity. They go hand in hand. And, you know, Romans 13 talks about how we should, uh, you know, uh, uh, obey and care for the government because initially, and it's not so much more today, but the government was established to punish evil and reward good. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and then people always say that. Well, Jesus, he, he came for our spiritual well-being. Yeah, he did. But you know who attacked him the most? The politicians of their day. Because Jesus came, and it always happens, Jesus came to turn everything back towards us, toward our hearts. Just like he said, you know, people say, well, should you, should you, uh, you know, what about committing adultery? And Jesus says, well, okay, that's a physical thing, right? But if you lust after somebody in your, in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. So Jesus turned it back on us. And so when you talk about faith in politics, um, Jesus came and argued with some of the biggest politicians of our day. Jesus was political. The landscape that he came into was probably some of the most hostile political landscape in the history of mankind, hmm. which is one of the reasons why Jesus came at that, per- as Paul says, at the appointed time, the perfect time. So you can't really separate it. Now, what we should say is that uh, we, we, we can't be people who say, um, if you're in my church, you must be a Republican. Mm. Or if you're in my church, you must be a Democrat. Because the truth is, there's 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 good people that are Democrats. I have no doubt. There's good people that are Republicans. But there's there's uh you know um, different people that are Republicans that aren't even Christians. They just believe in a platform. So I always say it's platform over personalities. You know. So when we talk about politics, you have to be involved. I would go so far as to say. The reason that we're dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with today is because the church has buried their head in the sand and said, mm. "Oh, uh, it's a, you know, we don't need to touch that separation of church and state." And you know that most know the story of that. That's nowhere in the Constitution. It was a letter that was written uh, years uh, ago uh, to a pastor. I think it was in Connecticut uh, that mentioned that statement. That statement, but it was meant in its context to keep the state out of the church, not that the church shouldn't be involved mm. in the functions of the state. Oh, right. How long do you think that this faith in politics that aren't supposed to mix, how long do you think that's been going on? Is that like new to like the last 30 years or 50? Do you have any idea of when the church kind of got this idea that they're not the same or they shouldn't go together? I think it was probably the earliest signs, at least in our lifetime or close to our lifetime, was probably in uh, like 62 or 63 when we took prayer out of the schools and then mm-hmm. they began to take that they started moving God, the Ten Commandments, everything out of it. There's also something that um, was started, uh, I think it was by Johnson, he was Lyndon B. Johnson, he was a senator then, uh, I think it was him, uh, don't quote me, you can fact check me later, <laughs> but he, I'm pretty sure it was him, I think it's called the Johnson Amendment, which is a 501c3 thing that everybody always argues about that says that churches aren't supposed to say anything about politics, because that amendment says that if you're a 501c3, then um, you can't talk politics, you can't. Uh, say anything about a politician or say this person's good or this person's bad and so at that point um, when that was established it basically put fear into the hearts of of preachers because we would lose their tax exempt status which if you know anything about that it would be devastating for a church to have to start paying all these corporate basic corporate taxes because there's a lot of business aspects to church so that amendment um, and the reason he did that was because churches at the time were standing up saying, this is not the guy. You don't want to vote for him. This mm. is not the guy. So as his office as a, 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 a senator, he, um, a senator congressman, again, don't quote me, uh, but he created this amendment to basically shut the church up. Wow. And so we believe that lie ever since. But that, that doesn't say that we can't um, talk about the things that are happening in our day. Uh, one of the biggest issues is that we, we have given everything over to the government. 
many of these issues were always church issues, mm-hmm. and now we've given them to the government. Yeah. What are some of those issues that you really view as really important, um, assuming that you win, hoping that you win in November? Uh, right. What are some of the biggest things that you're going to really talk about? I think one of the biggest things is, again, going back to you know the church. The church year, years ago, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, for a long time, used to be the center point of a community. In other words, innovation, ideas, you know, obviously the Word of God. I mean, truth came out of the church, and you know, people looked to the church for wisdom, for knowledge, for help. And we find it being kind of the opposite today, where mm-hmm. people, where the church is looking toward the world, <laughs> you know, which is kind of why uh, church has become irrelevant for a lot of people because they just don't see. Uh, the truth there. They don't see the fire there. They don't see. So some of the issues uh, have to go back to, you know, as a Christian, as a pastor, what God says. Um, You know, the parents uh, have the responsibility of raising their kids. And uh, we have given that responsibility over to the schools. Now many parents are waking up going, oh my gosh, I didn't know that these schools were teaching this, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad we're waking up. But that's one of the big issues is that we as parents have to be parents again. We have to go, you know what, no, my, oh my God, my kid's not going to learn this stuff. You know, I didn't know they were learning all that stuff. Um, taking back that responsibility and the power mm-hmm. uh, that we've given to the state, but it never belonged to the state. Um, so uh, one of the things I want to fight for is that, is allow parents to, to have that responsibility again. One of the things which you're probably aware of um, that people uh, uh, argue about, but I think it's really important, is school choice. You know, see a lot of people shy away from it, but it simply just means that you're, you shouldn't be sent to a failing school simply because that's where you live. And the parent has the power, and not just the power, but with school choice, you have you would be given the funding to send your kid to a school that you feel would best serve them and their educational needs. And that funding in Virginia, on average, is about $12,650. So that's one. The second thing that I think is important, touchy subject for a lot of people, and we talk about abortion the right to life. You know, I'm pro-life. And I always tell people, it's not so much that I, uh, people always say you're against this and against that. I, it's not so much I'm against abortion as I am for life. You know, I just leave everybody, including the child in the womb, should have an opportunity in life. And, um, and so one of the things that I'm fighting for is this. We may never overturn Roe versus Wade. That's just a reality. It's a law of the land. We may never get there. If we do, you know, fantastic. If we don't, you know, uh, there's two sides to it. One side is that you can't legislate morality, right? You can't, uh, I can't force you to be good. Uh, we, we have laws that say don't murder. People still murder. There's consequences to it. The same thing. If we, if we eradicate this uh, law, then what happens? Are women still going to get abortions? Of course they are. You know, mm-hmm. creates more danger, more problems, more issues. So that, I, I, I've learned to, that's not my focus. Mm-hmm. My focus is use what we have now. Mm-hmm. What we have now is that taxpayer-funded money in Virginia has given, last year, gave $6 million to Planned Parenthood. $6 million to Planned Parenthood. Now, you can, so people can say what they want. It is not a women's health organization. All you got to do is go and do a little bit of research, and you'll realize that. I'll give you some stats. 2019, they did 9.7 million services. 2019. Mm-hmm. Of those 9.7 million services, only I think it's 577,400 something were something other than termination of pregnancy or abortion. Mm-hmm. 5.8 percent, somewhere mm-hmm. around in there. So that means you know 95 percent of what they do is abortion, termination, and pregnancy. It's not a women's health. I did a small little survey where I asked women, "Have you ever 
been have you ever gone or sought out a Planned Parenthood clinic specifically to receive like a mammogram or you know STD check or something like that? And, and almost every one of them said no, mm-hmm. no, we haven't. And, and kind of the list goes on. So what I wanted to do was something called the Fairness and Funding Act. If we never overturn Roe versus Wade, I think we can actually uh, legislatively never overturn it. We can actually overturn it through policy. Now, one of the things I want to do is, is, is the fairness in funding, which says if, if we're going to give them $6 million, fine. But there's, there's uh, crisis pregnancy centers. Give them the same amount of money or split the money or yeah. find a way. Because what happens is most women who go into an abortion clinic, they are going there, not all of them, but most of them go there because they see no other option. Mm-hmm. There's no other hope. And we do have options, crisis pregnancy centers and, and adoptions mm-hmm. and things like that. But those options aren't fully funded. They're privately funded. and They're not always fully funded. Mm-hmm. And so it's you know it's one thing to say I hate abortion and you shouldn't you're evil for having an abortion and then not do anything about it mm-hmm. you know that's hypocritical mm-hmm. so doing something about it says if we can fund those uh, options that are already there yeah. then we can actually walk a woman all the way through her pregnancy and help her either keep it uh, adopt it not just like walk her through like you know but, but like monetarily walk her through everything she you know there's so much stuff we can do. That's that. That will also take the red tape away from uh, adoption agencies and reduce the amount of money and time it takes to adopt and foster and all those things. So I think if we create those options, there's already many options, but if we fund those options, we can effectively overturn Roe versus Wade. Because there's a beautiful stat, it's one of my favorites, that says uh, the other thing I want to do is to redo the law that they just got rid of that says a woman must wait 24 hours and must um, see and hear the baby sonogram Mm -hmm. uh, before she makes that decision. The reason they got rid of it is because, uh, if you don't understand this, everything's about greed and power. This is about money. It's not about women's health. They don't care about women. But the reason they did that was because 80% of the women who see and hear their baby choose to keep it. That's am- I mean, to me, that's amazing. That's amazing, yeah. 80%. And so that's that's one of the things that I want to do. I think if we, if we can do that, uh, and when we had that law in place, Virginia itself saw a reduction of 40% wow. reduction in abortions. So it's not about um, forcing a woman to not have one. It's about creating those options because the stats show us that when we have those options and those options are funded, most women choose to keep. What would would we need to get into the state government in order to change that law back? Would we have to get the governor elected as well or is a majority in the House enough or how how does all that stuff work? Yeah, so we would have to go back in and re basically repeal that law. And yeah, we, we need a governor, you know. That's why a lot of people don't know what delegates do. Well, delegates actually write the laws mm-hmm. in Virginia. It gets sent to the Virginia Senate. Virginia has, you know, just like, it's just, we're the Congress of the state, basically. Right. You know, the, you know. And uh, then they fix it, send it back, say do this, do whatever. Anyway, it ends up on the governor's desk. He signs it or doesn't sign it. So yeah, we need all of that to win. Right. So if the governor right. wins and the delegates, uh, we don't take back the House, then he's vetoing for the next four years. Okay, right. You know, uh, and Republican governor. Right, about, right. We have Democrat now. And vice versa, like if we win, but but a Republican governor doesn't win, same thing. McCullough's going to veto everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's important. So in my last podcast, I talked about uh, cultural competency training, this bill that, yeah. that they passed last year about teachers having to get recertified in cultural competency training, which to me is critical race theory. That's exactly what it is. Um, do you have thoughts on that? And, and can we repeal that just the way you, you're talking about this abortion bill? Yeah, I mean, we can go back and make and make the changes. Um, the problem comes really is this: we, we we really have to get back to civil discourse. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and being able to argue our points and not hate each other because of the point. We're so divided right now, 50-50 almost, you know, Republican, Democrat, and each one hates each other. Mm-hmm. If Republicans get majority then or, or have slight majority, whatever, then the uh, Democrats are not going to sign anything, and vice versa. Republicans don't want to do anything. We have to come to the point where, you know what, there's always going to be Democrats and Republicans. We're going to have to work together. Yeah. We're going to have to. And so to do that, to do those things that we're talking about, repealing things and all those things, we have to learn to work together. It's like right now there's agendas, and agendas are being pushed through, especially since they have uh, you know, the majority. They're pushing through everything they ever wanted to push through. Uh, some of it, my opinion, is, is, is well, it's unethical, it's un, ungodly, it's uh, unbiblical, it's un-American. So it's not just as simple as going up there and saying, yeah, we're just going to overturn that again. I mean, there's a whole process that we have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the most important thing is really that we, we need to learn to what we used to do is, is reach across the aisle. And so, you know, we, we may disagree on just about everything, but I promise you there's a few things that we agree on mm-hmm. that we can do that affects positively affects all Virginians I think if we don't get back to that, what I'm saying is will happen is even if we get the if we win the house now, we're going to do all this stuff and fix it. Well, guess what? This is how politics works. The next one or the next one is going to the Democrats are going to flip it again, right. and then they're going to undo everything. So we'll spend the next 20 years doing and undoing until we learn to work together and say let's compromise on these things. Let's do that. I don't know if we can ever do that again since we're so polarized, but I'm I'm praying and hoping that we can. Gotcha. Another one of the things that bothers me a lot is that the governor has these like emergency powers yep. and he can do whatever he wants. Is that something that the from a federal level they gave him the power to do or can like the no, ho- we gave him the power. So to the do House that. of Delegates they gave him the power. Or should I say they haven't taken away his power. They haven't taken away. So yeah. can we do that? Oh yeah, that's one of the, that's a, like I said there's a whole list of things that many of us are working on. One is yeah. term limits. Uh, you know, okay. we, we want that. It's important for term limits. Um, nobody needs to be there 30-something years. Uh, you, if you haven't done anything in, uh, you know, we, we consider, we, we're talking maybe eight years. If you haven't done anything in eight years, you you need to go. We need mm-hmm. new blood. That's what makes creativity and, and, and creates, you know, uh, uh, better discourse is when you get new blood in there. The same person all the time. They basically can limit the powers of the governor and say, look, mm-hmm. we know there are times when you need emergency powers. We get that. But right. you don't get unlimited emergency powers in the scope of what you can do, and you don't get unlimited emergency powers in the time frame in which you can do it. You know, em- emergencies don't last forever. The whole point <laughs> is that you fix them, yeah. you know, but what is it? There, there's an old, uh, an old saying uh, uh, for the left that they never let a Christ, good crisis go to waste. Yeah. And that seems to be what they have done uh, with this. But, yes, we can change that. We can, we can limit the power. Yeah, they seem to just be dragging it dragging it on and on and on it's political they have politicized it yeah yeah so i wanted to uh shift gears back a little bit to the homeschooling thing so i was homeschooled we're homeschooling our kids i'm a big fan of homeschool i know you homeschooled all five of your daughters yep so tell us about what you're doing because you started like a school or something like that tell us about what you're doing there yeah so so ultimately you know after like I said, in, in running, I, don't, I didn't really go to a lot of school board meetings, which most parents didn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I had an excuse because <laughs> <Right. laughs> I homeschool my kids, right? So I didn't really think about it that much. But then as I began to run as, as a candidate for delegate, I said, well, let's start let's start paying attention to school board. Let's go to school board meetings. And then began mm-hmm. to see, and like I said, a lot of parents like, what in the world is going on? Yeah. So one of the biggest issues for us, and it's not really the... Uh, 
it's not really the only thing. I would say this issue was the straw that broke the camel's back for many parents. Was it with the uh, transgender model policy? The whole yeah. the whole fight of that was basically this. They didn't have to accept the model policy. They could have created their own policy. And the truth is, Newport News already had a policy. Mm-hmm. You know, they could have adapted that policy, and they actually did. They added gender and um, whatever you know to the policy. That mm-hmm. that would have been enough with a couple of other little tweaks. But uh, that kind of set people off. And so I, after that, since I'd homeschooled my kids, I said, well, we don't have school choice right now. So like basically the public school does own your kids because you're stuck. Where else are you going to go? Mm-hmm. Most people can't afford $1,000 a month per kid for private school. I mean, I thank God for private school, but most, people, most of us can't afford it. So homeschool is a viable option until we can get things like school choice or uh, even more charter schools uh, opened up. One of the issues in, in Newport News is that the person, the people that uh, approve the charter schools is the school board itself. You know, think about a charter school, it's a separate school, but it's still state funded. But it, in other words, it's competition for the public school. Mm-hmm. So the public school, okay. the school board says, of course you can't have it's a charter school. It's a conflict of interest. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. But that's the beauty of school choice and charter creates competition. People start competing for the children. Everybody mm-hmm. goes up. Yeah. Quality goes up. Teachers goes up. Teacher pay goes up. All those things. So we started something at the church and just said, look, we're going to open our doors. We're not doing anything except Wednesdays and Sundays. You know, mm-hmm. We're going to open our doors and uh, just start a homeschool, what they call it, co-op. Co-op mm-hmm. is simply people who are willing to pull, want to pull their kids out, which you can do, by the way. It's totally legal. Uh, you are still the parent. You have every right to pull them out. You don't even have to give them. You don't even have to tell them why you're pulling out. You just say, hey, I want my kids out of school. I'm going to homeschool my kids or whatever. You have the right to do that. But we just opened it up and said, look, we'll just open our church up as many. And it's actually growing. Now, we've got a good number of kids uh, now that are coming. And co-op That's just awesome. means as parents, we come together and we teach our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, with, with the Internet and all the resources that we have now, even a lot of free resources, it's so easy to homeschool. The beauty of homeschool, too, is you don't have to, you don't, your kid doesn't have to be in school 40 hours a week. Yeah. <laughs> we homeschool from 10 to 2. Yep. That's yep. it. And mm-hmm. then we'll go on field trips and we'll do all kind of other stuff, you know. Um, and the music lessons and stuff that we can add. But yeah, that's why we started. Ultimately, kind of thing that, that, that God put on my heart was to, to open a school or start a school. Uh, because I think, you know, if, if we stay on the path that we're on, uh, public schools are ruined. Mm. They're just, they're not good for anybody's kid. Yeah. Uh, because it's full of ideologies. What I say, indoctrination, not education. Mm-hmm. They're creating good soldiers who will vote the right way and say the right things, as opposed to creating good citizens who will, you know, uh, be great citizens of America. All right. So, final question here: uh, What can people do to help your campaign if they're if they're on board? Well, actually, let me let me ask this first. What is the 94th district? What are the boundary lines to that? So, the 94th district is basically the major part of Newport News. It's pretty much all of Warwick from. Lee Hall Elementary School, all the way down to if you know anything about the area, Smoke Restaurant. Most people oh, know where that's okay. at. It's really there's a there's a uh, there's a they are sharp lines when they redistricted mm-hmm. in 2019. There's a very sharp and weird lines, and then it comes across it'll, it'll come across Denby, uh, Warwick, and Denby and Jefferson over to the Windsor Great Park areas a little bit over that. That's across from Mary Immaculate Hospital. Most people know where that's at on Denby. Um, there's a I think registered close to 60,000 people, voters. Um, most of those uh, elections, especially off-year elections, average about 21 to 25, if you're lucky. That um, vote? Yeah, that vote, okay. yeah. And so we got, and, and the governors, uh, governors, when you add the governorship to it, uh, there's a little more that come out. Okay. But right. on average, it's 12 to 15,000. 15,000 votes will get you a win, a good right. win. Right. 12,000 votes to 13,000 will be a, a really close win. Okay. 
So, gotcha. So uh, how can how can we help you? Yeah, I mean the biggest thing we're doing now, is, um, obviously, you know, finances. We don't have the money that the uh, you know people always say. Why are you always asking for money? Well, we don't have you know again. That's another one thing to work on is financial reform. We don't have out of state money. But the Democrats get a lot of out-of-state money. They spend hundreds of thousands that did not come from inside Virginia. We want to end that. You should get it from the people that you're that, that are voting for you. I follow Tim Anderson on Facebook. Yeah. and he's talking about that all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. it's ridiculous the amount of money that they're getting. We can't compete with that. Uh, they're doing videos and TV ads and all that. We can't compete with that. But we do need finances. What we're trying to do at the uh, this is in. We only got a couple more weeks. We're trying to do some targeted ads and specific zip codes like when you watch a YouTube video there's a 15 mm -hmm. second ad I want one of them to be mine in yeah. your zip code or whatever yeah. so that takes money um, uh, the other thing is we, we need to knock doors we've knocked thousands upon thousands of doors but we still we still had a couple of precincts that we uh, have to hit mm. and uh, as many signs as we can get in yards that's the most important things it, it becomes name recognition too yeah uh, and then people will look you up and then um, towards the end here we need a lot of uh, these are things you can do at home uh, phone banking it's basically you're just calling voters or registered voters and say, have you voted yet? Do you plan on voting? Who are you okay. going to vote for kind of thing? Um, just to get people out to make sure that they vote. Because mm -hmm. there's nothing more disheartening than you get 10,000 people that say they're going to vote for you and then only 2,000 of them show up. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like <laughs> call and remind. You know, I think that we made uh, voting day as a holiday now, but Chuck said you can, you can vote anytime between now and then. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of times you can vote on Sundays as well so um, that's the biggest thing help us knock doors help us you know make some phone calls and if you got any fun everything helps twenty five dollars fifty dollars you know a hundred dollars five thousand dollars whatever you got uh, it helps and we got a great team a completely voluntary team um, and uh, we're uh, just we've been blessed uh, to do what we have done with basically little to no money yeah uh, we've done a lot we've done a lot and been able to to cover a lot of ground so like I said, whatever happens, uh, we've learned a lot too. And I don't think it'd be the end of us, um, uh, even if I don't win. You know, there's school boards coming up, there's a city yeah. council coming up, there's many ways to still get involved. And I think it's uh, that's kind of the key. If, uh, if I had to sum it up, is just stop complaining. You know, one of the biggest things I just got tired of yelling at my TV. So I said, <laughs> you know, so I turned my cable off. I found it was making me angry, but then, you know. Not get involved. We can still, you know, we can still be the America that we are used to to living in and having the Virginia that we're used to, to that we grew up in, that we're living in. It can still be that uh, a great place for everybody to live, work, and play. But it takes our involvement. If we don't do anything, we'll keep getting what we what we've gotten so far. So, well, that's ending it on a hopeful note. So, <laughs> yeah. thanks for talking with me, Russ, and I really appreciate it. And good luck with the rest of your campaign. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.